This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. despise manual labor. They didn't want to work. So they got saved and said, we're free in Christ. We're not working. And so what they did, they took advantage of brotherly love. Oh, brother, I love you. Thank you so much. Hey, can you get me a blanket? I'm a little cold. Oh, thanks, brother. And you just sleep in and you just staying at home. You have nothing to do and, and you're expecting them to feed you, to house you, to sustain you. They were a group like that. Have you ever heard the saying, talk is cheap? Pastor Eddie wants you to know that just saying I love you isn't really love. Real love is shown by what you do. Real love means making sure your brother's or sister's needs are put ahead of your own. Selfishness has no place in love. If you love someone, as a Christian, you will love with the love of Christ. No greater love can one have than to lay down his life for his brother. Do you love with the love of Christ? or a pretend love for personal gain. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as he continues his message, Walking in Love and Harmony. Rebecca, the age of eight, said this, Love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Another one writes this. It says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. That's interesting. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Billy, age four. Another one said, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries (laughs) without making them give you any of theirs. (laughs) Chrissy at the age of six. Another one says, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Terry, the age of four. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him, making sure that it tastes okay. (laughs) Danny at the age of six. (laughs) If you want to learn to love better, this is interesting, you should start with a friend who you hate. From a six-year-old. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. Noelle, say age seven, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other for so well. That's true, Tommy at the age of six. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. Claire, age six. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Age five, Elaine. And I'll give you the last one. 
It's amazing. You really shouldn't say "I love you" unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. That's true. Out of the mouth of babes. I mean, we look at it. You think that they would say something funny, you know, like that show kids say the darndest things, you know? When I first saw it, I said, "Wow, I'm convicted." It's just a show. You don't need to be intelligent to understand. You need love. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be wise. You just got to be obedient to the word of God. And so He wants us to abound more in love and love. So now that was verses nine and ten. Now we're going to look at verses eleven to twelve, and Paul's going to tell us how we're to walk in harmony and in honesty. And so, uh, just to give you a little background, apparently, when we look at Second Thessalonians and and Acts chapter seventeen, gives us a little bit of the background here. Apparently, there were those who, in the fellowship who didn't work; they didn't have a they didn't work. They became busybodies, and they did a lot of talking, chattering, and meddling to other people's business. And so, Paul says in verse eleven, let's look at verse eleven. He says that you also inspire that is to have a zeal for that you also inspire to lead a quiet life. We're to inspire to have a quiet life, a peaceful, still life from、uh, disruption, from commotion. We're to be silent, not speaking inappropriately. Proverbs chapter seventeen, verse twenty-eight. I give it to you. The New Living Translation says, "Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent." That's a lot of good proverbs we can learn from. So that, isn't that great? You don't have to be smart; just be quiet. I wish I learned that before years ago. Now, the goal is not to try to appear to be something you're not. The goal is to walk in harmony. We need to listen. So we have two ears, one mouth. Two ears, not so we could, you know, enjoy surround sound. You know, you can actually hear something and not listen. That's the difference. You can hear noise. I can hear, you know, trucks going by or whatever. Well, not now, but when I'm here by myself, I can hear trucks going by. But I'm paying attention to whoever I'm talking to. That's listening. Is hearing and paying attention. So the goal is to walk in harmony with others. And the scripture tells us, even the more we talk, more likely we're going to sin. That is true. We take verses like the one we just read now, and we look at the Proverbs, and we look at the scripture talks about gossip. Another Proverbs chapter ten verse nineteen it says, "In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking." In other words, the more you talk, you're going to sin. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Is wise. I think the most important thing is to obey this, but knowing there will be consequences for everything we say.、And、Jesus said it himself, Matthew chapter twelve verse thirty six thirty seven. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. He says, "For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned." Every idle word, every word. I would include, which is obvious, is cursing. If the world considers that to be unclean, why is it in the mouth of Christians? Oh, everybody! So okay, everybody sins. That means you're gonna sin. You shouldn't curse. If it's offensive, don't do it. I, I remember a teacher was, used to say, "Well, people who curse, they just have a lack of vocabulary. They're not smart enough." And that's the truth. We need to be careful what words we use. Anyway, he said, "Lead a quiet life," and then he says, "To mind your own business." 
You know? Now, many of you probably never read this. You probably thought, wow, this book was written almost 2,000 years ago. And that was, the, yeah, that was biblical. You know, the people in the world don't go to church at all. They have, there's only two very popular Bible verses that they know by heart. Don't judge, number one. The next one is mind your own business. Mind your own business. I remember growing up in school, elementary school, and we used to say, mind your own business, mind your own business. And people say, mind your own business, mind your own business, right? And then somebody came along, probably thought they had a, a word to counteract with that. Mind your own business. And then they would say, my mind is my business. And then somebody got smart again because truth will always remain the truth and it'll go back to the truth. So they'll say, mind your business. The person will say, my mind is my business, so go mind it. You get it? I don't know. Is it only my age? <laughs> Come on. But that's, that's what we used to say when we were kids. Oh, mind your own business. So we, we were, nobody says it anymore because you know it's going to go back and forth. Mind your own business. Is, you know, there's another proverb. It's in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 17. It says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house lest he becomes weary of you and hates you. Maybe we should study a Proverbs every now and then. There's so much. You know, you keep inviting yourself to the point where you're in their business. You know more about what's going on in their house and not in your house. Because it's easy to look at other people, right? We just love to look at other people. You know, when we sin, right, doesn't look that bad. But the same sense somebody else does it, oh, forget it. That looks bad. It looks bad when they do it. It doesn't look bad when we do it. But we love to get into people's business. And it's sad. It shouldn't be. Even in the house of God, they'll ask questions leading to wanting to know what's going on in your life so you could open up to them. You keep inviting yourself to the point where now you overstay. You know their mail. You know their family business, the conversations. You're where you're welcome out. And in the beginning where it just started as just you visiting, all of a sudden now, you know what? You're coming here, you know a lot about my personal stuff. <laughs> and all of a sudden now, you know, at first it was okay. And you overstay your welcome. There was a way in ancient days during the times of Christ where uh, a person knew when he, over, you know, he overstayed his welcome. You know, the better ones, they would have these tents and people would travel. And in those days, they were traveling, sure, you could stay in my house. Strangers, it wasn't a problem. So they would serve them, they would serve them, you know, tea, or they serve them a drink, a hot drink, and they keep serving with their right hand, their right hand. When they overstood their welcome, he serves with his left hand. He got the hint. Okay, left hand, no more, I'm out of here. We're going to see that because that's pretty much where some of the people in Thessalonica, the believers, some of them took advantage. They didn't work. They were busybodies. They were meddling to other people's affairs. And that's why Paul said, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Then he goes on at the end. He says, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Work with your own hands. You see the Greeks, the aristocrats, the ones that had slaves, they found it degrading if they had to work with their hands. So they had slaves. And they despised manual labor, so they had people doing their physical handwork. And since many of the Thessalonians, remember when we started this, most of them were all Greeks. The predominant you know, members of this fellowship in Thessalonica were Greeks. So a lot of them came from that. Many of them were slaves of masters. And since they gave their lives to Christ, they figured, hey, you know what? I'm free in Christ. I don't have to work. 
I'm no longer a slave. They took it literally. <laughs> it means you don't have to work. I'm not a slave anymore. Remember, Paul only been with them for three weeks. Paul couldn't teach them the whole counsel of God, but that's why he's writing this letter. And so they despised manual labor. They didn't want to work. So they got saved and said, we're free in Christ. We're not working. And so what they did, they took advantage of brotherly love. Oh, brother, I love you. Thank you so much. Hey, can you get me a blanket? I'm a little cold. Oh, thanks, brother. And you just sleep in and you just staying at home. You have nothing to do. And, and you're expecting them to feed you, to house you, to sustain you. They were a group like that. And when Timothy went back, he gave this news, he gave the good news to Paul, but then there's some areas, Paul, they need some help in it. What's going on, Timothy? Well, there's some people who don't mind their business, they're not working, they think now they're free in Christ, so they're not working. And if you include the fact that many of them really believed that Christ was coming in their lifetime, they sold off everything, they figured there's no need to work, let's survive with what we have, but I don't want to work. And so they did not work. Back in chapter 2, Paul set the example. Remember, as we, he said, as we commanded you, work with your own hands. And even though Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they first went to Thessalonica, they went there as guests. They labored. They shared the gospel with them. They gave them Bible studies. But even though they were there, they were guests, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, all of them worked. They worked. They didn't want anything from the Thessalonians. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes in it, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For we labor night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. We didn't want to be a burden to you. We're going to go work and get a part-time. Paul was a tent maker. He probably made some tents. But he came back so it won't be a financial burden to them. I think the TBN false prosperity teachers need to understand Paul's life. Where they think they need to be in a suit and tie, the name and the claim it, blab it and grab it, you know, and they're the ones that they're fleecing the flock. But they love the title apostle. Paul did not want to be a burden. So he said, listen, when we were with you, did we take anything from you? No, you saw us. We set the example as we were teaching you the Bible. We were practicing what we were preaching. We had jobs. We provided for ourselves. So he took advantage of the others and he started mooching off of them. As a matter of fact, you can see this in second in the next letter, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses ten to twelve. And he says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you who are in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. You know, I look at today in our country, we're talking about generation after generation after generation after generation of people living off public assistance and they don't work because that's what they taught. Don't get me wrong, there are people who really need it. But there are people who their whole life, their children, their grandchildren, and you know, I pray for them. I, I have no hate for them at all. I just, I pray for them because that's sad. And it comes to the point where there's a sense of entitlement. 
And we give, 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 give. You know, it's a proverb that says, if you catch a fish, the man will eat for a day. You teach him how to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Work. Work. I grew up, in, and I'm thankful that I was raised. My father had a hardware store. I was, I was grateful that, you know, we had to work in the store. I started working in the store when I was five years old. I wasn't lifting up anything heavy, but the little things I can do to get an allowance. If we didn't work, we didn't get an allowance. And it showed us. It was something. It was simple. Five dollars a whole week. Whoa, five dollars. I remember the Reggie bar. I don't know, going back, I was a Yankee fan. And I was playing baseball. I said, I got, if I'm going to hit home runs like Reggie, I'm going to spend these five dollars on Reggie bars. <laughs> and even though it's five, I love the pricing gun. I just love that machine. I love the sound, how fast it was. And I would, and I would show off how fast I am. And, and then my father said, what? $299 for a hammer is $299. I was fast, but I wasn't accurate. <laughs> you know? I've worked my whole life. And I don't think I need therapy. You know, my wife, maybe my wife says that, but hard work never hurt anybody. In, in scripture, you find people working, working, working. And here you got people think because they're religious. I know several people in my ministry that all they want to do is be supported to do nothing. Oh, I wonder if your church could support me. Okay, in what? Well, I have this ministry I'm going to start, you know, and I said, really? I said, sorry. And then I go to the next person. I get a call from another pastor. Hey, uh, Eddie, do you know this person? I said, I, said, I love the guy, but um, this is what he's tried to do with us and others. He doesn't want to work. He want to be paid. You know, if it's a calling, it's different. The calling starts, and God will provide. I love what Chuck Smith says, where God guides, God provides. God is faithful. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, it says, work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. We've got a lot of Proverbs today. Verse 11, he says, and to work with your own hands, and we command you, verse 12, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack Nothing, nothing. When we walk in love, brotherly love, working towards the full agape, and when we are as disciples of Christ, we live a quiet life, we're minding our business, we're working honestly with our hands, we walk in harmony, we walk in honesty. Guess what? The world is watching. There is evangelism. There is evangelism. Little do we know, evangelism is how you live your life how you walk and how you please God. And they see that, oh, this guy's a Christian. And let me tell you something, there are a lot of fake Christians. There are a lot of traditional Christians. They're Christians because that's what we did. It's traditional, my parents, and we just went into, no, we're talking about real Christians who practice Christianity, who practice the love of Christ. Because there's so many of those, you will stand out as a real Christian to love one another. Mind your own business. Live a quiet life. Please God. As you please God. They say, you know what? I don't like religion. I hate religious people. And these Christians are fake. But that's the only Christian I know that's real. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't compromise. And he says, he said to walk properly towards those who are outside. That you may lack nothing. As Christians, we're to work even in your job, Christians are not lazy. 
Christians show up to work on time. Christians do not punch out early. We give 110%. Because everything we do, we do for the Lord, right? Think about it. And one time when I studied how Moses was put in, in a little basket, Moses' mother was being obedient to God. There was an order to throw all the male Hebrew child into a crocodile-infested river. And she said, no, I don't care what they say. That's pretty much like abortion today. She saved her child by putting Moses in this little ark. Her daughter, Moses' sister, was following to see where it would end up and end up to one of Pharaoh's daughter. And guess what? The daughter, when she picked up the child, the daughter said, Moses' sister, I know someone who can nurse the child. And she said, go get her. I'm paraphrasing the story. So she go get her. That's her mother. I said, I'll pay her. She was getting paid to take care of her own child. She was getting paid to be obedient to God. To relate that to us, you're getting paid to be an evangelist where you work. It's not always, oh, I want God to call me to be a pastor or minister. No, we are all called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything that we do, no matter what your job is, do it unto the Lord. There's a testimony right there. Why are you different from all the other coworkers? Why are you different from my other employees? It's because of Jesus Christ. And it says a testimony. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Bond servants, obey all things your master according to the flesh, meaning your earthly master according to the flesh is your earthly master. Your heavenly master is God. Is it not with eye service? Don't do it to show off as men pleases, but sincerity of heart, fearing God. So you don't do it to, you know, polish the apple, you know, with your boss, try to score points. All the bosses around, let me work really hard, you know, and show how intelligent I am. No, you do it when he's not around. Now, to employers, supervisors, managers, Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, give your bond servant what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so everything we do is to walk properly. Paul is telling me, walk properly. People are watching you. And they look at the church at Thessalonica. We want everybody in Thessalonica to say, hey, you know what? That church, those people, they take care of their own. They love each other. No one's lazy. Everybody's pulling their weight. They together work, you know, and they support each other. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you love one another as Christ loves you, that's the agape love. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. At the end of verse 12, you will lack nothing. God is faithful. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. We've been looking at some useful and applicable things in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Toward the end of this book, there are some verses that might be viewed as a test or a challenge depending on what you're going through. The author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. Do you have much to be thankful and grateful for today? Be reminded that Jesus coming back someday is the greatest reason to rejoice. It's a hope that you can hold on to when the rest of the world is hopeless. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Are you in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area? 
If so, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. On our website, we also have some helpful resources to assist you in what you're learning or how you're studying the Bible. Just click on the Study Helps tab at runningtheraceradio.com. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we look forward to the next edition of Running the Race.